All right, I'm looking for my Bible. Oh, it's already up there, man. Mm. I'm not used to this. <clears throat> Where I come from, you got to take care of your own self. No, I'm joking. Don't, don't, don't say that. <laughs> All right, well, my name is Israel, and I'll take that amen any day. Um, you know, last time I was with you, I don't know if you remember that or if you were here, uh, it was uh, right before Thanksgiving, and we were talking about Philemon, the, I call him the hero of uh, the superhero, uh, whatever I called him. Let's see, hospitality superhero, there it is. And uh, it was really an interesting message. I, I never really preached on Philemon before. And lo and behold, Graham said, hey, I want you to come down again, and, and, or up rather, and preach. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, fully loved. I said, tell me more about that. Uh, I think I've heard that before, but tell me more about it. He said, I think we, we try to love ourselves in different ways, in even destructive ways, when we don't encounter and, and rest in God's love. And, and, that, and that was really good. And I think that is exactly the, the case between a grace-driven church and a duty-manipulative kind of context church, where one, they look very similar one church is based on God's love for you, and you encounter that, you experience it, you teach it, you unpack it, you just rest in it, and you move from there, versus always being expected to do something, or you're not good enough, uh, you know, repent, and, and you need to repent on, in this church too, you need to repent everywhere, but you know what I mean, it's outside-in motivation, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a huge difference between a child that is loved and responds in, in joyful obedience. Now, that doesn't happen every day, but just <laughs> obedience, I'll take it. Just, just give me obedience. Joyful, joy we're working on. But a child that grows up in a nurturing home, and you, you can tell a child. You can tell one child from the other. Now, every child has bad days, but you know what I'm talking about. And I thought, okay. Well, Lord, where do, you, where do you want me to go? And I went to Romans chapter 12, and it was the target text is 9 through 13. If you're here visiting today, this is your first time. Maybe you haven't been in church service in a long time. I want to welcome you again. It's a safe place. It's a good place. But I'm just going to warn you that unless you really know how much you're loved, it if you're not resting in God's love, the Father's love for you, this sermon is going to sound like a big, you better. This sermon is going to sound uh, like you're not doing enough. And, and that's not my fault, okay? <laughs> so if you're, if you're still wondering, you know, I don't... You know, they, people say God's love, and God loves me, and, and Jesus loves me, and I, I just don't see it. And I pray that God, like the song says, that God would just uh, make your eyes open to his love being poured out on you already. And if you're, if you're ready to move on, I want to just share with you uh, the fact that being spiritual is, is not just about Bible reading. It is not simply about prayer. But it is, it is about being hospitable. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. And Paul just does an amazing job of laying out his, his theology. And that's just a, a, 
a, a word that means, you know, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Christ, who Christ is? What has Christ done? Paul un- really unpacks that in the first 11 chapters. And then he gets into praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. That is, what does this look like in my life? Okay, So 11 chapters, Paul deals with, this is the story of the world. That chapter 1, that the Gentile, that is the non-Jew, is without excuse. That the non-Jew is without excuse because creation shouts that there's a creator. Creation shouts at every single living person that there is a God that brings order out of chaos. And the second chapter says, the Jew, the one who was privileged, who was chosen, the people of God are without excuse either because they knew better. Because they were given God's word, God's treasured word. You know, the whole purpose of Exodus, the whole purpose of Exodus is, is really not simply to lead the people out of bondage. That, that, that was a means to an end. It doesn't stop there. In fact, God removes them out of bondage. And then where, where does Moses go? Where did Moses go? He goes up to the mountain. He goes up. He receives God's word. And we know this as, as a, the famous Ten Commandments. That's not even the point of Genesis either, or of Exodus either. It, the story does not stop there. It's not just salvation. It's not just God giving you a bunch of don't do this or or do this. It's not just about that. It definitely must include that. The whole purpose of Exodus is for God to come off the mountain, for God's glory to rest at the very center of his people's lives. And I think that we miss it when when we think of God's word as just something we should do. We've missed it completely. So, the Gentile is without excuse. The non-Jews without excuse. And, and if we just didn't get the picture that Paul was describing in, in chapter 3, what does it say? For all have sinned. All. Everybody. If you don't like to be categorized, everybody is without excuse. Then he, then he shows how God redeemed the world, showed his righteousness through Christ, and wants to give you a new way of life. And in chapter 12, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, and uh, some of you know this, many of you know this, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I'm appealing to you. Chapter 12, this is the so what. If God has entered the world, if God has entered my world, if Christ has died for me, so what? Here's the so what. Present your bodies. Just go like this. Just, yeah, you just, just slap yourself a little bit. No, don't do it too hard now, okay? Just, you're there, okay? Your body, look at your hands, look at your hands, uh, and say, my body, my body is to be a living sacrifice. My body, my, my whole self, everything about me. Now, the problem, if, if you may have heard this, of a living sacrifice is that it's always trying to crawl off the altar. We don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Now, I like what C.S. Lewis says uh, in The Weight of Glory, his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He talked about that something's hap- something happened that in Christian circles today, the highest virtue, if you ask a Christian, in, in, even in C.S. Lewis's day, and especially in our day, what's the highest of virtues? 
You, you hear a lot of, well, it's uh, uh, unselfishness. And how a ne- and he said, and the negative virtue has replaced the positive one. The positive virtue is love. See, the purpose of a, being a Christian is not to be unselfish. That, that is not the end. You need to do that? Oh, yeah, you better believe you need to do that, especially if you're married <laughs> or if you're a parent. How many of you are, are married uh, with children? That's, that's a TV show, by the way. <laughs> it was on the air. Horrible show. Okay. I, I, I find no other place that disciples me more than being a father and a husband. I, I find, in fact, Marriage is the laboratory of discipleship. <laughs> we run away from it. It's like, whoa. And if you're here and you're in divorce, it's not a smack at you. Look, there are some times where we're not even in control of things or we're not even aware of things. And I pray that God would heal you in that. And I pray God would heal you if you're still married. You know, we, <laughs> we need help. We need some help. But gosh, when, you, when you're married and when you have a kid, you can't run away from who you are. It's a big mirror. This is what you need to work on. My, my discipler is my wife. She's my truth teller. Does she always, the, the, my favorite verse to quote to my wife is, speak the truth in love. Because <laughs> you know how to speak the truth, but you need some love in there once in a while. <laughs> Woo! Lay it on thick. All right. And if she was here, she'd have her own sermon about me. But anyway... Oh, really? Let me show you this. Um, no, I love my wife. She's, she's back home. I have four. I live in Santa Maria. I have four children. Um, my boys are going to turn two and four, and my daughter's going to turn 13 uh, at, on Saturday. Just pray for Just extend your hand out right now. Lord, have mercy. Yes. My other daughter's 10 looking at all this. Like, what do I, what do I have to look forward to? What, what's going on here? So it's just amazing to be in a family. It really shows you how mature you are or how immature you are. Uh, you know, we think pastors have, have achieved spiritual greatness. I, I'm a spiritual dwarf at times. I'm like, what did I just say? Why did I react that way? That was not in the notes, by the way. That was extra credit. <laughs> I love words. How many of you love words? How many of you part of the iPhone revolution? You get drop calls too? Okay. I have my, my brother, my, bro, my younger brother says, I'm, I'm part of the iPhone revolution. I said, calm down. <laughs> One of the favorite apps that I have is dictionary.com. Dictionary. I'm always on it. I'm looking at a show. I don't know what they're saying. I, I go right on there. I'm watching. My, my, my daughters go, Dad, put the phone away. You don't have to look up every word. I said, that's, that's, I love it. And in this text that we're looking at, the target text is verses 9 through 13. It says this. Let's just read it. Love must be sincere. Literally, love must be unhypocritical. That's the exact word he uses. In other words, you know when someone's not being sincere. You might not know right away, but in a matter of time, you find out if there's a hidden agenda. Wouldn't you agree? If someone's nice to you, 
You know, and I think we've got evangelism wrong. We don't usually word that, use that word a lot. If we're only nice to chalk up, well, I led that person to the Lord. Next. <laughs> People feel like a number or a project. They, they sniff that out really quick. But if you're going to love for the sake of showing love because you have been loved, that's totally different. That, that just rocks people's world. They're like, whoa, you don't want anything from me? No. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Now, God's people there is translated as God's people, but it's the saints, the holy ones. You say, I don't feel too holy at times. God looks at you and sees, if you are in Christ, he sees the the righteousness of Christ on your life. Practice hospitality. It just blows me away how Paul gets very, very simple. He boils it down. Look, this this does not have to be complicated. I love words, and I have to say that the, the beginning word and the ending word of this passage in the text, in the Greek text, that is, is, is a word, the first word is something you're very familiar with. It's brotherly love in Greek. Is what? What's that word? Philadelphia. Phila being love, Adelphia being brother or brethren. Uh, the New RSV translates that brothers and sisters because it, it's not just for your, your male uh, counterparts, your, your, the people in the service today who are men. It, it includes Women as well. It's why in Pennsylvania, the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. So that's the first part of Paul's instruction. He says, you want to be a living sacrifice? You want to be, you want to respond in worship with your very body, wherever you are, no matter your circumstances? The first thing you need to specialize in is brotherly love. Now we usually do this. So I'm not really want to talk about brotherly love. We may need to talk about it at times. We may need to sharpen one another. I think there's just a wonder. If I was just able to just redo this, I would have an open forum, and, open forum, and we'd have some really wonderful collective wisdom. In fact, that's the way that the early church uh, really broke down Scripture. They would speak to one another. They would sharpen one another. Yes, they had preachers. Yes, they had teachers. But there's collective wisdom here. So I'm not going to break that down too much, brotherly love. But it says, it says later that also practice hospitality. And the word there is philozinion. That is to say, philo again is love. Zinion or xenos is recognizable to you if you know uh, this word, xenophobia. If someone's xenophobic, what are they? Fear of what? Fear of... People, especially strangers, freak out when they see strangers. We walk down the street and you, you hold your purse really tight or you put your hand on your pocket right here. And you, 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 you just kind of freak out when you see people you don't know, especially crowded places. Paul says, practice or pursue, strive for 
hospitality. And what that literally means is love strangers. Love strangers. Now that's countercultural. That's just so different than what I have been taught. That is the te- you know you you were taught things not just with what your parents or your family said, but how they lived. More so by how they lived, right? We, we uh, lock our doors, we put the blinds down, and for good reason, we might get robbed. We have alarm systems. I mean, have, did you, have you seen some of these alarm systems like in other countries, especially in South Africa? There was a, there's an alarm system that would shoot up, after warning you after a while, they would shoot up flames. The cars. How expensive is that car that you got to barbecue somebody after warning them? We, we have become so guarded, I think, even in our culture and in the modern-day world. Not, all, not in all places of the world. In fact, you still see hospitality as part of the culture in places that we would consider third world. People that, people that visit us, and if you've traveled way more than I have, or if you talk to people who are here, they were not, they're not born here, they were, they were born somewhere else, they were raised somewhere else, they quickly see differences. I, that's the first thing I always ask somebody. If they're from another country and they, and they had a totally different culture, I always say, what is your first impression of our country? Number one, number one, you guys are way too busy. Way too busy. Did you know that I, I believe in Germany, uh, and, and you can research this and, and, and email me if I'm wrong, but I was told, and, I, and I, with my research, in Germany, they don't put cup holders in cars. They do that for Americans in our cars. Why? <laughs> Drive through, texting, eating a Big Mac. My goodness, slow down. I can't talk because I just had an egg McMuffin on the way over here. I said, I got to get over there. They're praying at 810. I got to get an Egg McMuffin, I said. I shoved that thing down so fast. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, had a, I had a Japanese uh, foreign exchange student, and uh, he was living with us for like three weeks when we first moved to Santa Maria in 2005. I'll never forget, never forget. He said this. Uh, we, he was going to take him to his drop-off point. They were going to go for a field trip for the day. And he said... And uh, so I had to give him some breakfast. And as is my custom, we, you, you just shove down the food in the morning on your way to wherever you're going. And uh, I said, Here, here's your food. I got him jack in the box. Here you go. And he says, okay. I said, we need to go inside Albertsons. We need to get you some water. You're going to be walking all day in, in uh, Universal Studios. We need to get you water. Okay, okay. So he comes. I, I, I said, what are you doing? Take your sandwich. He said, take my sandwich? Yes, take your sandwich. Let's go. So I'm shoving my sandwich down my mouth. And we're, I'm looking for the bottle of water, you know. And he, he's, he's going like this the whole time. And I, I turn around. And I, oh, where are you? He says, no, it's not good. I go, what do you mean it's not good? You haven't even tasted it. He says, no, we, we have respect for food. We sit down. We eat. We sit down. Now, now, big cheese falling out of my mouth. (laughs) 
taught me a big lesson. Number two, number two things, uh, the second thing that, that I hear is uh, maybe it's related to being busy, but you don't talk to one another. You don't have time for one another. And I think, I think that's, a, that's something we need to listen to. And I think in the church especially, the church exists to be hospitable to strangers. The church needs to specialize and completely be an expert in loving the stranger, the outsider. Let's take it a step further. The outcast. You know why? Because we were all outsiders. All of us. God reached out to us and showed us hospitality. And I think the inclination in our churches is to be guarded if you don't look like us, if you don't speak like us, if, if, if you don't fit in, you're going to have a hard time here. Now, we don't say that. We would never dare put that in our membership you know, notes. Uh, yeah, this is what it takes to be a member. This is, this is what we look like. You know, just put a picture of yourself there. Just dress like that. You know? And this is the words we use. No, we would never think that. But you know what? People get, they pick up on stuff really fast. And I think this is a friendly place, by the way. I, I really do. Um, in fact, my wife, when I, when I first preached here, I think one of the first, first or second time, and I didn't introduce her, um, she, she was just bombarded with, with love and, and greeting. And she, I, I said, really? They, they were saying hi to you left and right? She says, yep. I said, honey, they didn't even know who you were. She says, wow, that's wonderful. You know, because I've been in church services. Have you been in church services? Not a person says hi to you. But boy, are they singing. <laughs> we're going, and it's good to sing. And we're listening. And we're, and we're giving. But what, what about hospitality? Did you, know, did you know that hospitality is a spiritual discipline? Hospitality is a spiritual discipline. It's a mark of Christian maturity to be hospitable to your guests and your home. And I've learned a lot how to be hospitable. Without my wife, I would probably not be that hospitable to my guests, you know. It'd be like one towel, like kind of soaked wet, you know, hanging there in the bathroom. You know, help yourself. Yeah, thanks. You know, there'd be like barbecue wings, what I like. You know, I'd be making food that I like. My wife, she sets out the whole thing. I mean, there's like 1,800 towels in the bath. Honey, they're not going to roll around in the towel. They just need like a couple towels. Just do things to make people feel welcome. And I think if we can understand that concept, then we can see what about the person that comes into our small group or the person that comes into a worship service? What if we make it about them? Why? Because that's what God is truly pleased. Now, if you are not loved... If you don't understand that love, this is a strange message. Because why would I want to be friendly to a stranger? Why, why would I risk being disrespected? Why would I risk being robbed? Because in our culture, any sign of weakness is a sign to take advantage of. Why would I leave myself open? Why would I be vulnerable? Now, I say, use wisdom. But who in your life, I'm going to end with this question, who in your life 
is the stranger. You're in your job or wherever you are, wherever you, you maybe you play tennis somewhere, uh, maybe not today, it's kind of cold unless you're diehard. I don't know where you're going to be. Wherever you go to you know, the gym, you see the kind of the same people. Who is it in your life that you haven't even said hello to? And, and see what God does. How do you change strangers into guests? Hospitality. What if this church was known not just for the wonderful music? Hey, don't, don't you think they do a great job here? Man, they rock, man. <laughs> I am so jealous. Anyway, uh, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, we have great, great music here. The speaking's okay as today's. But you know what? What if, what if Highlands was known as one of the most hospitable places? Let's pray. Lord, it can only happen if, if you come down to us, look in our eyes, and speak words of truth to us. If we kneel down before you at your feet, so we do that now, Lord. We want to let you know that we love you. And we love only because you have loved us. And I pray, God, for the person in here who is having some serious, serious questions, times of discernment, feeling lost. I pray, Lord, that you would bring the lost home. That you'd reveal yourself to all of us, especially those may feel in darkness. Shine your light. In Christ's name we pray. Make us, make us your very own. Mark us with the hospitality. Enable us, Lord, to be lovers of the strange, the stranger. In Jesus' name, amen.